0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601 835 4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com.
1: Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this
1: friday
2: y'all all right it is a friday we have made it and we're done with august we are in september does that mean fall is here uh, supposedly Well, that's the way it's supposed to work Compared to what it was, it feels fall-ish. I agree. It does. I was up in Oxford yesterday. Appreciate Dave filling in. And it was kind of delightful, the weather. A little different when you just go north a bit. You know how it'll change. Enjoyed uh, speaking uh, at my old fraternity house. Closing night of Rush. 1650 went through Rush. On the men's side over there, I think over 2,000 on Sorority Row. That's a bunch. I, um, no secret, a lot of -of out-of-state kids go to the University of Mississippi, many from Texas, Georgia, full over there. So they come this way. But this was a fascinating piece of data I learned. 150 in rush from Colorado. That's kind of weird. I don't know that I knew anybody from Colorado when I was up school at school up there. Hmm. And I I don't know the particular reason, but uh, of course they have the the list you know of everybody and where they're from their hometown. One hundred and fifty they counted from Colorado. That's kind of weird. Uh, Some back, folks like
1: to attribute that to success on the gridiron.
2: Oh, okay. I think that does mean a lot. Uh, No question that Nick Saban is a big part of Alabama's success, not only the university, Tuscaloosa, and the state in general. There's no doubt. It's it's a huge economic driver, is athletic success, especially football, just because so many attend football games. No doubt about that. Something uh, to be said about how that can induce uh, economic activity. In the meantime, speaking of economic activity, we got all kinds of economic news out. Yesterday, we got the personal consumption expense data. It shows inflation still ticking upward. Uh, But moderated somewhat, what, 4.2%, I think was the figure. Of course, the Fed's target is 2%. The market had mixed reactions to that. Then today we got unemployment data, and unemployment actually ticked up. And crazy as it is, the market likes that, because it sees that as maybe giving the Fed some cover to uh, raise rates. So the market, it's only up 84 points right now. It was up, I think, near 300 earlier in the session, the Dow, that is, 84. But another interesting bit of data vis-a-vis the economy, and really, when you talk economy, we should really discuss that in the context of your household situation, 61%. According to a Lending Club report, a survey conducted in August, just last month, 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And this is what really shocked me when you distill that statistic. 44% of those making over $100,000 a year, six figures, that used to be... Hey, I'm on easy street if I get to six figures. 44% say they're living paycheck to paycheck. 78% of those making under $50,000 a year say they're living paycheck to paycheck. Does that sound reasonable? I would say so. I
1: don't, I seriously don't believe I'd be living paycheck to paycheck with a six figure
2: income. You I just are, don't see it. You're probably more frugal. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I will say this: I think the I think the difference is if you're independent, an individual, versus, and they don't discern in this report, if you're trying to take care of others in a household, family, that becomes a much taller order. Well, yeah. And and so it, it doesn't really give any details as far as that's concerned. But one of the things that we talked about on this program that is a little concerning is just this idea of the American dream. I mean, it used to be, I say it used to be, maybe it still is, it seems like that the American dream has kind of been redefined. It used to be you would, uh, sometime in your 20s, generally speaking, you get married, you get a job, you'd work your way up the ladder, You'd save a little money, buy a house, have kids. You know the old house with a picket fence image that you typically associate with the American dream. And you're on. You just and then you save and you retire and you live out your retirement days with some degree of comfort. But we have more of this generation that doesn't seem to be motivated to move up the economic ladder. Don't really care about it. I'll just work at home, minimum amount of work, play video games. I won't really ever have anything. I won't ever own a home, for example. And that's fine if that's your choice. <clears throat> the, the concern is that more of that generation are electing for that lifestyle. To me, the bigger issue is this idea of work-life balance, well, somebody tell me what that is. What the hell is that? You hear that term tossed about frequently. What does that mean exactly?
1: A Kardashian lifestyle on a part-time uh, work schedule. Well,
2: okay. isn't
1: realistic in any realm. <laughs> right. That's the point. It's not realistic. It's work-life balance. What is that? I want to be able to fly to Greece (laughs) after working 10 hours a week.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: I want to be able to spend 17 weeks a year on vacation and only work two days out of the week. That's pretty much it.
2: That's sad. I I guess I look back, and, okay, I know I'm older, and maybe I'm out of touch a bit for the current generation, but I always thought... I got to work harder than the guy next to me because we're vying for the same promotion, and I want to get it before them because I aspire to move up the ladder. I mean, does that make you a bad person? It seemed like now we did to the that. left, yeah. All right, well.
1: Then again, according to the left, if you don't get a promotion, it's not any—it's not due to any failings on your part. It's not due to inaction on your part or laziness. No, it's society keeping you down. That's, that's right. It's the man. You're oppressed. You should be offended.
2: Hmm. Right. It's like I uh, have uh, suggested about Democrat candidates. Their message is, your life sucks and we're going to fix it. Well, when the Republicans are in charge. Right now, we got Biden and his surrogates and Karine Jean-Pierre telling everybody how great everything is. It's unbelievable.
1: And how they can't keep up with this president because he works so much and so (laughs) hard.
2: Yesterday, KJP got asked about the border. And she said, The border is more secure under this president than any president in our lifetime. That's just laughable. Reports are that 91,000 families crossed the border last month. You got Governor Kathy Hochul of New York, the mayor of New York, and the mayor of Boston. They have headed to Washington to meet with the president. And my understanding is he shunned them. He didn't even meet with them. And they they went to meet with him to appeal for money. Well, when you stand at a podium and talk about how we've got to show compassion and apply humane treatment to those seeking asylum... Looking across the border. Well, what do you expect? Then they land on your front door and now you're finding out you can't pay for it. You can't accommodate. And you want the federal government to bail you out. You're the one that created this problem. Are they ever gonna wake up? I don't know. We're taking a break right here. We're in the Element Well studio. It's Lance Tolbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company, High School Football. Scoreboard yet yeah, uh, next.
0: Check it out. Whoa. Let's do it. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We are in the Element Wealth studio this morning. Back in the chair, we welcome to the program Lance Tolbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer of the Gallo Show, maybe the longest title in the entire company <laughs> so give yeah. us a preview we got some high school football games coming up right
3: we do uh, They're quite a full lineup i'm going to run through the top 10 matchups I have a few other ball games i'll cover and uh, we'll just start there but uh, number 1 team in the state let's start there 7a uh, tupelo they're one and 0 I
2: can't get used to the 7A, by the way.
3: Yeah, it's taken me a little bit of adjustment, too, because you go back and look at the schedules from last year and the year before, and you've got 6A, so you've got to kind of do the little easy math, but some teams stayed back, some moved up, and so it's going to take a few weeks for most of us following this to sort through it, but... I'm getting a little better at it. I'm I'm learning to stick to my notes when it comes to the seven and six Okay, But uh Tupelo, Seven Tupelo's 1 and 0. They have Saltillo who is a 6A team and they're 0 and 1. Tupelo hmm. beat, Tupelo beat Whitehaven 37 to nothing Tennessee team. And uh, Saltillo lost on the road to New Albany 31-23. They were beaten squarely, though. Saltillo was last year by Tupelo about the same time of year, 55 to nothing. So this ought to be an interesting game tonight. Saltillo may have a little bit of uh, something in their crawl from getting that bad last year. But Tupelo is led by some really good players. Quarterback Jeremiah Harrell, he's a senior. Uh, Senior running back Quay Middlebrooks and junior wide receiver Ty Darden lead a very talented and high-powered offense. Tupelo had a great year last year. And it looks like they're going to, again, have the talent to compete at the highest level Seven A, uh, number two team in the state. Seven A Starkville is one and zero. They go to five A West Point, or actually, they host five A West Point. West Point is zero and one. Starkville beat three A Noxubee County forty nine eighteen last week. And Knox County lost in the finals of 2022 in the 3A championship to Raleigh 55-52. So Knox is not a team that you know loses many games 49-18. They're, they're a very yeah. good team. Uh, Starkville was the 6A state champion, uh, defeating Brandon 48 to 32 last year. And Starkville uh, started uh, 2022 four and zero, lost three in a row on the road at Madison Central, then to Clinton, uh, and then Tupelo at home. But they would get a second chance, Starkville would against Clinton in round two, then round three at Tupelo, which they beat both of those teams to advance to the 6A championship versus Brandon. So there's a little history there. West Point lost on the road. To 4A Louisville last week. 4A Louisville is the defending 4A state champ, losing only one game in 22 to eventual 6A champ Starkville. So, and they lost that 21 to nothing. West Point lost their uh, their first two games of the 22 season, 24 to 14 to Louisville and 44 to 13 to Starkville. But they reeled off 11 straight before falling to Picayune. Uh, Starkville returns quarterback Trey Petty, who's an Illinois commitment, and then Braylon Burnside who highlights the receiver core. So, again, Star Wars loaded again and very talented. Uh, Picayune has Cathedral. Uh, Picayune is a 6A team. Cathedral's out of Baton Rouge. Um, Cathedral lost their first game to Our Lady of the Good Council, mm. which is out of... Is uh, out of Maryland. They lost that. That was in 2022. Maryland? Yeah.
2: And what's the deal with these teams playing te- other teams from out of state, like crossing over from Louisiana Mississippi, Tennessee, so forth?
3: Well, that's a great question because, generally speaking, it's going to be the elite of the elite in Mississippi. MRA's done that with Pulaski quite a bit. Yeah. But uh, well, P- that's private school, though. It, well, it is. But you, you're also seeing some crossover because, say, Tennessee and Louisiana, the private school ranks really mix and merge yeah. up better. yeah. Then you see. Uh, And over in Alabama, you you don't see the private schools as much. You see these huge schools like Hoover. So it's just it's a good experience, I bet, for – we didn't have that opportunity. We didn't have the budgets to do those things. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you get an opportunity to play high-quality teams. It doesn't count against your district schedule. And generally speaking, these games have been very hotly contested, and and they kind of carry over from one year to the next where – the team that got beat wants to play again and again, so it just kind of rolls on, but it is a good concept, and it does expose Mississippi football to some of the powers in the surrounding states, like Arkansas, Tennessee, Alabama, and Louisiana, which I'm in a big uh, big fan of. We have one team, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't have it off the top of my head, but uh, I've I, trying to remember is one of the coastal teams goes to Florida this weekend so you know they're, they're hmm. traveling they got some budgets now John. man where are they getting all that
2: money from <laughs> yeah. especially with the cost of travel well, up that, as well
3: that's right no now, now picky Yoon is a 6a team they're, they're going to be my favorite and probably the sleeper team in the state of Mississippi to me pound for pound I would say arguably the best team in the state over the last few years at least since 2020. Picky Union has been extremely just stable, strong. They have a running attack mm. that is hard to handle. West Point runs a similar offense. Both have great defenses, but uh, those are your two teams there. I think that are outside of the 7A uh, between West Point, Picky Union, and then you have Louisville, which is a, a great team. And uh, so those are three of the teams there outside of your big boys that look mm. really strong. Uh, number four, Oak Grove has 7A Hoover, Alabama. There you go. There you go right there. That's the one I was kind of referring to. Oak Grove is – uh I, I mean, if they're not the most talented team, they're close. But Oak
2: Grove, of course, around Hattiesburg, mm-hmm. and Hoover uh, would be on the east side of Birmingham, mm-hmm. I believe.
3: Yeah, and, you know, the thing about Hoover is uh, they, they have a – a little trend of getting beat by thompson in the playoffs that's they're kind of there that's their big program though it is and, and thompson is a is a power in 7a over there as well and oak grove probably has the most talented team in the state uh, boasting multiple top 25 hmm. players hmm. from both senior and junior classes and they are very talented coming up as well if you have an opportunity to catch oak grove play uh they're they're my sleeper team in the 7a classification they're not favored to win at all but they're they're right there i Check mean,
2: your schedule again, Lance, on Tupelo. We're showing that they play South Haven, not Saltillo tonight. Yeah, sorry, let's see. Uh, just want to get that yeah, right yeah, for yeah, the yeah, audience.
3: Yeah, some, some of these Tupelo, 1-0, South, yeah, they're 1 and, 0, and South Haven. they're 1-0. South Haven, that's right.
2: 0-2 tonight, okay. right, not Saltillo. I, I, will, I will look
3: that up in just and a second. And both of
2: those are 7A programs, right? Uh, and yeah. Tupelo is as well. Right? Yes, sir. Sure, that's right. Saltillo, and though, what's that? What are they? Four yeah, okay. A, six A, six A. they have grown
3: that. immensely um, over the years, and you know it's an outskirt type yeah. of town in Tupelo, and uh, just a, a, one of those communities. A lot of furniture manufacturing, right? You know, blue collar, and man, on that
2: play, forty-five corridor, I believe whatever it's forty-five Or right, right off of that
3: area. The road there is beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. uh, through there. The um, we, uh, you know, you got uh, Oak Grove again. We'll go back. They've had. Had some really good seasons. Yeah, Uh, they're strong. They went eleven and three in twenty twenty one, losing to Brandon. Uh, You know, so they're always right there, and and they're going to be one of those teams that I would keep my eye on. Um, Brandon, they they got beat this past weekend. It was a heck of a game against Picky Union. Saw that Madison Central. They won in a very just crazy, crazy game. Like so, right at the end there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there wasn't much going on through that whole game, Gerard. And then it just got fun there yeah. for about seven or eight minutes. <laughs> and uh, Madison Central had three opportunities to kick the field goal to win the game. There was some interesting maneuvering there with Ocean Springs had taken a uh, – um, you know, they they just could not – uh, couldn 't kick yeah. he was just having the worst time with the kicking game, so they took a safety which put the game at fourteen to twelve and Brandon was down by the two and the the young quarterback Picarella um at Madison Central I apologize at Madison Central young quarterback uh, Picarella let him down the field got him down there in the field goal range and they per, they proceed to miss hmm. uh the second one it doinks off the upright the first one there was a uh um, uh offside penalty and the third one <laughs> he just cranks it straight through there like he was walking in the park you know and and you win the game and I, it was just one of those Probably one of the best finishes you'll see in a regular season game. Mm -hmm. Warren Central at Pearl, Warren Central six A Pearl seven A Warren Central stayed in the six A rank, uh, but they were in that seven A group last year, or, or which would be six A. They stayed in the six A. Pearl moved up. Pearl's much improved. They got a great quarterback, who I believe is a sophomore this year, and Jack Durr started a lot for him last year, and uh, he, he's a handful. He, he's uh, not the biggest as far as size. He's tall, but uh, he's getting better and better. Uh, number eight, Louisville, uh, they're four A. They got Neshoba Central. And uh, Neshoba Central six A, Uh Neshoba Central got beat pretty handily by Pearl in week one, thirty five fourteen. So I would I would anticipate Louisville uh, taking this one to the house. They're they're <clears throat> really really difficult to handle. Um, Jackson Prep, the six A uh, top ten team in the uh, the Big Ten. You got the they're two and O. They've got Pillow Academy, Jackson Prep, as you know. Uh, prep and MRA have seemingly battled for the yeah. state championship routinely. Where's uh, JA in that mix these days? Well, Hardfield you know, Hardfield is has been in that. Yeah, but. You know, J.A. is kind of like that, right there knocking on the door, just hadn't been able to get MRA dethroned or prep. Those yeah. two have just owned that rank. And then the last one I'll say is the Raleigh lines. They're a 2A power. they got 4A Newton mm-hmm. County, and Raleigh is a team to watch. They're so fun. And mm-hmm. uh, Ole Mrs. linebacker Perkins came from Raleigh. Yeah. and So they're going to be loaded again.
2: Ought to be a good night for football, and then we got scoreboard show.
3: Yes, sir. Uh, coming on ten to eleven thirty, and it'll be uh, action packed. And hopefully, we'll have a lot of games finished before we get the there this week. It's
2: going to be a lot of action tonight. Yes, Appreciate sir. it, Lance. Thanks oh, nice for coming in. Yep, we're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studio. Later on in the program, Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News, updates us on the news. The headlines they're tracking. And then Lynn Posey, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks at 12.05. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome
0: to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one.
2: are back in the Element Well studio. It is midday. So before we went to break, we were just talking about just how our culture has changed a bit, that so many uh, folks just seem to aspire to the work-life balance. Don't have a clue what that is, exactly. I mean, work is how You produce for society and generate income for your own well-being. I I guess what I said but bothers me more than anything is if we have so many that don't seem to aspire to much other than just getting by. And that's a a problem. And, And, of course, where it's really a problem is... You look at these student loans, it makes me start thinking about it, and Biden's already forgiven a big chunk of that. He's, he's doing a around. You've seen that. And I believe, Rhino, that interest is scheduled to begin to restart accruing this month, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it starts
1: today. Okay. And payments begin end of the month. Okay. So
2: we're, uh, we're, we're leaving... Behind the pandemic student loan payment relief. And we're getting back to you got to pay your loan back. Except because the Supreme Court a couple of months ago ruled that Biden couldn't with just the swipe of a pen Forgive $450 billion worth of student loans. They go to work once again using the. Byzantine bureaucracy of the federal government to modify the rules, the terms and conditions of the loan, which, unfortunately, is legal. Now, certainly somebody could protest it with a lawsuit, but at this point, they've gone in and amended the rules, which essentially is kind of a a veiled approach to forgiving loans, really what it is. And they're bragging about it, of course. And I keep thinking about all the folks that go to college, and they get pushed in to these degrees. They spend six figures on them, and then they're working at the Starbucks afterward. They've got a degree in some crazy subject matter, some major. And, And think about this, all the resources within the university environment consumed and dedicated to teaching those classes what for i mean there's no purpose there's no utility that's what's crazy
1: you mean it's it's not really a valuable skill to learn the philosophy of harry potter
2: (laughs) what is gender studies i've always wondered that what is that
1: it's uh fancier way of saying aggrievement studies. Okay.
2: I mean, you need about 10 minutes on that, don't you? Uh, it's, But it's true. And they push them into these, these courses of study, these majors. It's almost so that it just perpetuates itself. How about that? And, of course, so many schools offer gu- essentially guaranteed employment. In the way of tenure to the instructors, to the professors, so it's not like, well, I've got to provide some value here or I'm going to be gone. No, you don't have to worry about that. And of course, the federal government's paying the way. That's what's upside down. It, and it's uh, it's almost as if I just want to go hang out in college for a while. <laughs> that what are they thinking? Like what career do you have in mind? What do you? What's your aspirations post college, post degree? Well, I don't think you go to college thinking, "Yeah, I'm going to get out and and be a tour guide," you know, at a museum. Not that I'm downplaying their value, but don't think you need to go to college for that. Spend a hundred seven thousand dollars on a degree. That's the point. You need to be thinking about some line of work that will justify that investment, that will produce a return on that investment, or a barista at Starbucks. Again, I, I'm glad we have those people in society. I'm just questioning how many of them have worthless degrees, because can't get work anywhere else. But we have a president that's bound and determined, I believe, to buy votes in forgiving these student loans. Elon Musk says he has a transgender daughter. Not sure if that's widely known. He came out yesterday and said he believes that his daughter, who's transgender and basically is a communist. He called her a communist, his daughter. She, of course, severed her ties with Mr. Musk, and he says it's because she was brainwashed in school into thinking, quote, thinking that anyone rich is evil. That's at this ritzy California art school or something that he sent her to. Uh, Yeah, the Crossroads School for Arts and Sciences in Santa Monica. He says that they infected her with the, quote, woke mind virus. Wow. So think about that. You got a biological daughter who now, of a very wealthy individual who produced lots of value for society. And, and she has severed her ties with him. And it's because he's rich, because he's wealthy. Imagine your kid not liking you because you're successful. That's just totally upside down. But that's the sort of brainwashing, indoctrination. And, of course, you know who's doing it. Losers. It's losers in society that are insanely resentful and jealous. It's all about that. they got more money than me. That ain't no fair. Well, you're getting what the market will bear teaching at this school. That, by the way, doesn't exist without people like Elon Musk. You think they've ever thought about that, Rhino? Without the likes of Elon Musk and their vast wealth, your stupid school doesn't exist. You think poor people are sending their kids to that school? Which is probably six figures a year. That's what's just so... Disturbing about this. Meanwhile, you got AOC. You know who she is. She's promoting this message where she's suggesting that inflation is corporate propaganda to hide greedy shareholders. This whole word greed bothers me so much. It gets used and abused in our communications in this country. What is greed exactly? If you if you work and pursue success and maximizing profit, that is not greed. Is it greed? Let's let's think of it in other contexts. Is it greed to want to win every athletic competition you participate in? Is that greed? We just need to lay down and let the other side win. We win too much. You're laughing. Is it greed in the classroom? Well, I'm, I'm
1: laughing because greed is all about being selfish and, and having a selfish drive or desire for something. Like You can be greedy for wealth. You can be greedy for power. You can be greedy for food. But the, the sports analogy makes me laugh because... Really, only by definition could you be greedy in sports if it's an individual sport. Like, you could be technically greedy in golf, but you can't be greedy in, say, football
2: because it's for the team. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So if if every time a golfer tees it up in a tournament, pretty sure they're doing so with the Uh, the desire to win the tournament, well, I don't think that's greedy. Uh, In fact, wanting to perform at your absolute best, no matter what the endeavor is, sports, education, business, art, it doesn't really matter. But when you do so, and that produces income, wealth for you, that's not greedy. To me, greed is coveting What's not rightfully earned are yours, or yours. Or acquiring it illegitimately. That's the way I define greed. I want what you got. That's greed. And that's, that's being selfish, in my view, as you said. Or, I just want that even though I don't want to work for it. That's greed to me. Working and producing value and getting remunerated for it, I consider that success. Noble virtuous value creation coming right back in the element well studio
0: three covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians Gerard Gibbert middays with Gerard super talk Mississippi. <laughs>
2: We're back in the Element Wealth Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And speaking of which, the Dow has retreated. It's now barely in the green, 14 points. The uh, The 10-year Treasury up today as well. You already know that mortgage rates are at a 21-year high, I believe, probably going higher. The 10-year sitting at 4.197%. Of course, that's important because mortgage rates, credit card rates are also, interest rates are also driven by the 10-year. Also seeing that the major credit card companies are talking about increasing their fees to merchants. You've seen that right now? Oh, yeah. It's likely to be passed on. Of course, wasn't too long ago. Remember the president had this big deal about junk fees? Remember that? You see what happens? It It's like plugging a dike. You put your finger in one hole and another one opens up. Just get the hell out of the way. You make things worse every time you meddle. And that's exactly what's happening in here. Exactly what's happened. Oil up as well, I think it's eighty five bucks a barrel, so folks expect the price of gas to increase at the pump. Thank you, Mr. Biden. I think it's going to a hundred. I think here in the Magnolia State we're likely to see the price of regular in the three hundred eighty before the end of the year. It's eighty five dollars and thirteen cents is crude oil right now. Appreciate that, Joe. Yet he wants you to believe that Bidenomics is working. It's working, that's what he says. Absolutely incredible. i tell you what I think is greedy while we're on that subject. The Indiana Office of the American Civil Liberties Union has filed a lawsuit in federal court against the commissioner of the Indiana Department of Corrections claiming that this inmate is entitled to taxpayer-funded gender reassignment surgery. They say that this inmate, prisoner, really a thug, and I'll tell you why in a second, uh, Autumn Cordiglione, that's how he identifies himself His real name is Jonathan Richardson. That Jonathan was diagnosed with gender dysphoria while being incarcerated at the Branchville Correctional Facility, a male facility in Perry County. So the ACLU is suing saying that his rights have been violated, that he's entitled. Now tell me that ain't greedy. You're entitled, while you're a prisoner, to have your sex changed through this, this butchery. It's what it really what it is. And it's 10,000 to 150,000. That seems like an awfully big range. But this person... This Jonathan guy he's in prison for strangling his eleven month old child to death. Wrap your head around that crap. And now is demanding transgender surgery. I can't I can't fathom it. I I'll be honest with you. Uh, Maybe I'm a bit harsh here. You strangled an 11-month-old stepdaughter in 2001. You're in jail for 55 years. That's what the sentence was. Are
1: prisoners entitled to any other body modifications paid for by the state?
2: That's a good question. I don't know.
1: I I mean, can a prisoner get the ACLU to sue because they want to get a new tattoo?
2: Well, that's a good question. And by the way, this person, their whole face is tattooed. You're not surprised by that, right? So, and in, in the whole deal is protesting a law recently enacted, July 1. It's crazy you even have to have such a law that prohibits the Indiana Department of Corrections from using public money, taxpayer dollars, to fund sex reassignment surgeries. So they filed a lawsuit, did the ACLU, that says... This is violation of the Eighth Amendment's prohibition of cruel and unusual punishment because they want take a knife to this person's genitals. I mean, prisoners
1: have ways of giving each other their own tattoos. Maybe the prisoner should help him out with uh, his gender reassignment.
2: Well, here's the deal. Guess where he would end up? In a female prison. What could possibly go wrong? This is sick. This is ridiculous. And he strangled an 11 month old. His butt ought to be dead, in my view. We're stepping aside for a break right here in the Element Well studio. Coming right back, Kelly Bennett at
0: 1120. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays, live from the Element Wealth Studio on this Friday, y'all. First weekend of college football here in the Magnolia State as well. Looking forward to that. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear part two of an interview with Pat O'Connor who is a music producer and author in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. Also, we got uh, some tickets to give away later on in the program. And don't forget Kelly Bennett coming up in the next segment, giving us a rundown of the headlines from across the Magnolia State this week. Lynn Posey, Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, coming on at 12.05. It's dove season. That gets underway tomorrow. On the c text line, Ricky in Aberdeen reminds that Saturday, September 23rd, is the official first day of fall, the... The equinox, of course, uh, crosses our way at that point. But I always think about Labor Day kind of ushering in fall. I know it it technically isn't on the meteorological calendar or whatever it's called. I mean,
1: the days are already getting shorter.
2: Clearly. You can definitely tell that. But appreciate that, uh, Ricky. We were talking about recent polls that show that two-thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And a uh, huge number, if I'm not mistaken, had that data a second ago, like 71% don't have 500 bucks to help out, um, In 66% don't have $500, the same relative number, of course, that lives paycheck to paycheck, uh, don't have $500 socked away in the event of an emergency. That is a concern something else that we've talked a lot about on the program. I know Gary and the Berg is, has uh, a lot of passion about this subject, and that's just fatherless homes in this country. So it turns out that nationwide, 30% of the households with a child in them in this country don't have a father. Compare that to 7% globally, 3% in China, 30%. And when you look at that, of course, by race, when you break that down by race, it's really disturbing. And then that, especially out of wedlock births. So that typically leads to fatherless homes, but the statistics on out of wedlock births 70% of black mothers in this country that deliver are out of wedlock. 70% of the black babies born in this country are out of wedlock. 70%. Wrap your head around that. Hispanics, 53, whites, 28, and Asians, 13. Sadly, Mississippi ranks top of the list in terms of both of those statistics. Fatherless homes and out-of-wedlock births, 45% in Mississippi of homes with a child do not have a father. 16 million kids live with a single mother. 16 million in this country. Now that doesn't necessarily equate absolutely to to problems as the child grows up. There there are plenty of single mothers who do a just fantastic job of raising their child by themselves, and the child is a productive adult, evolves into one. But statistically, and I know we've talked about this before on the program, but I, I think it's worth continuously discussing because I believe this solution of the nuclear family is the core cause of most of our problems. Crime, drugs, economic challenges. And there's just not much talk about it from political leaders. Don't hear a lot. And and if you do, just because this is so prevalent in the black community, you're immediately termed a racist just because you even talk about it. Just citing the factual statistics. It's not like made up. These are factual tracked data points. So we ought to be exploring what's the root cause? Why do we have this problem? Because it seems to lead, generally speaking, statistical fact shows it leads to Poor adult outcomes. It just does. But you don't get a lot of discussion about it. On the C-SPIRE text line, three kids and a spouse and only 100,000 a year is poor in today's term. It does appear that, and that's based on some statistics I shared earlier, that 44% of those making over 100K in this country say they're living paycheck to paycheck don't have anything put away. Now, again, like Rhino says, if you're if you're a an individual, a hundred K income just to support your single personal lifestyle, yeah, I think most people could probably I'd be living pretty high on the hog. Yeah, fare pretty well on that. But if that's your household income and you got, let's say, a house of four, it's a pretty tough deal. And that's what uh, three kids and a spouse here, only hundred K on our c tax line they point out. Let's see. Um, CC and Sanitobi, not sure what they're talking about there. what I miss? Tim in Jackson says, work-life balance for those that work 60-plus hours a week is important with shrinking headcount. Most industries, more is expected from the ones who are committed to their work. Sometimes work overtakes life, and there are no boundaries between being on versus off the clock. Yeah, yeah I hear you. I get it, Tim. But if the if the alternative is... You don't have anything to eat because you have to work to make ends meet like that. That's, that's the difficulty, and that's when you get into all sorts of deep philosophical debates on that. I, I know, you know, I signed up for it, but as an entrepreneur, you can't just call somebody and say, well, you go take care of that. When the chips are down, you got serious problems. And entrepreneurs out there know what I'm talking about here. You got to step up. It doesn't matter. Everything else has to take a back seat because if you don't, it could really result in terrible, deleterious consequences. So it's it's a sacrifice just to ensure that you can endure and survive. Sometimes it's it's a tough one. I get it. Uh, I was fortunate in that I, I was able to be involved. Uh, with my kids during their critical upbringing years, but that often meant going to a game or an event or something, and then after that, putting them in bed and going to my office and working till 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, fortunately, I had to kind of work where I could do that. You know, I didn't have to necessarily always do it during business hours. And during business hours, I tried to take care of stuff that I had to with other people or while customers or vendors and other parties are in their normal operational state, push everything else that I could do without that, you know, to after hours when being that building by myself doing that. I, I mean I'm not complaining about that. I signed up for it. But entrepreneurs know what I'm talking about. They they deal with that. And and I I'm not again it's not a grievance. But well here's what I have a grievance about. Is when the left looks at those who did sacrifice and achieve some degree of success, financial success, and then they just denounce you, demonize you, vilify you. That that bothers me, no doubt about it. Our gender studies was biology one oh one. It's on the ceasefire text line. Earlier, we said that uh, we're talking about these worthless degrees, and there's some crazy things out there that I just I marvel at, honestly. Still trying to find me some of that tenure," says Curtis in Biloxi. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that exists anywhere except the higher ed academic environment. I mean, I do know that in the federal government, and even to a great extent in state and local government, it is really difficult to terminate someone, even for cause.
1: Just and difficult. The, the whole point of tenure was so that professors could challenge. Their students to think differently without the risk of being fired for it. That's right. The problem is they tend to seek tenure
2: and then go off the rails with lunacy. That's exactly right. Knowing that they are shielded from any repercussions. Totally agree with you on that. We are stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. When we return, it's Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News.
0: The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: back everyone middays from the element wealth studio we thank you so much for joining us and uh, joining the program now kelly bennett multimedia journalist super talk mississippi news guys? all right kelly tell us all about it what in the world is going on across mississippi this past week you guys have been tracking Lots of stories. Let's start with uh, Governor Reeves' statement on uh, possible COVID mandates, uh, masking, shutdowns, et cetera. What does he say?
4: Yeah, you know, social media is really alive with a lot of, oh, my gosh, are the mandates coming back? Are they going to require the vaccine? And there has been an uptick in COVID hospitalizations in recent weeks. The state health department reported 121 hospitalizations for the virus for the week of August 12th. Yeah. And Governor Reed's thankfully coming out and saying, nope, we won't be doing mandates. We won't be closing the state down. So that's good to hear.
2: Yeah. And that's uh, honestly not surprising. I think he's made it pretty clear that, uh, as so many have, when this thing first hit us in 2020, there's so much unknown and most were guided by the health care professionals who even now have admitted they didn't really know at the time. So it was just, right. you know, an abundance of caution. But I think since then, especially given that this seems to be a, a, a much uh, less, I guess, powerful version, folks aren't getting quite as sick. Although I'm surprised to hear we got people in the hospital, my guess is they had some uh, some comorbidities Uh, before they got covid which caused them to
4: that's usually the
2: case yeah 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 so okay well good news on that uh what about Shawasky young we talked about that the other day candidate for secretary of state the democrat who has uh, pulled out of the race
4: yeah so he is the democratic party's candidate and he announced plans to withdraw from the race due to health issues on sunday now, that left Republican incumbent Michael Watson unopposed. Young had been notified mid-August that the State Elections Commission was going to review whether he met the residency requirements necessary for him to run for office. There were some questions about that. Now, there are steps that can be taken that would result in the appointment of another Democratic candidate, a substitute. Right. Watson actually recused himself from that pro- uh, process for obvious reasons.
0: FEC was supposed to be last Monday. Uh, so the week prior to that, we had sent information out, uh, the office did, to, to actually uh, encourage him to bring some proof of residency. There's proof out there that he has voted in California in 2018 and 2020. So the question is going to be, you know, uh, let's make sure that this, this health issue is, um, affidavit is documented by a doctor. Uh, and I don't know why the, the commission wouldn't accept that.
4: Yeah, yeah, so it looks like they're they're working this process through. Uh, of course, we had the primary runoffs earlier this week. If you're looking for results or maybe you're wondering, did Nick Payne win or not? <laughs> yeah. Or what's the process going on there? Because that was a really tight race. Yep. Uh, and it's still undecided. And all the details on the primary runoffs are up at supertalk.fm. But, you know,
2: Nick Bain, just watching his, uh, his post on social media, he's sort of conceding already. Although he says, I'm not going to officially concede, but the language used seems to suggest that maybe he knows he's got a pretty tall uh, task to, to get over the hump here as they get the absentee votes in. He would have to, I think, capture 80 yeah. percent plus of them to overcome his current deficit.
4: Yeah, and I would say that was the biggest surprise yeah. in the primaries. Agree. Runoffs,
2: right? Yep, pretty powerful member of the House there uh, that looks like maybe he won't be returning. All right, so... Yeah,
4: and it, there's... Go ahead, Joe oh.
2: <laughs> Go ahead. I'm
4: like, do you want me to take it no. or you got it or what? Go ahead. So there's a situation that uh, unraveled in DeSoto County where a school bus driver has now been placed on leave after refusing to let students exit the vehicle in Olive Branch. Huh? Now, a video that's making the rounds on the Internet, and it's also up at supertalk.fm, shows the students trapped parents, I mean, panic parents, standing outside the bus going, let my children off the bus. And the bus driver has got the doors locked. This bus driver was apparently a substitute and... The decision not to let the kids leave came after a student used her cell phone to call a parent after being told not to do so. I don't know. I, it, it's crazy. You've got to see the video. It's disturbing. Wow. Really disturbing. Wow. All
2: right. So uh, that is that is kind of crazy. The war on domestic energy production. We were just talking about the price of oil now north of $85 yeah. a barrel. So what, what are we hearing there?
4: While the Biden administration continues to put the squeeze on U.S. energy. They have blocked off millions of acres of federal waters from an upcoming oil and gas lease sale. Not only that, they've placed new restrictions on ships taking oil and natural gas to shore. Yeah, And Mandy uh, Gunasakira, or her name is rough. Yeah, Gunasekara. I'm going to say it right. I've got the pronunciation in front of me. (laughs) She was the EPA chief of staff during the Trump administration, and she says... This is the result of a settlement with environmental groups over wildlife protection. I heard
3: one of the oil and gas organizations refer to it as a lease sell in name only because it really does more restricting than it does allowing actual access to the resources we need. This administration has made those restrictions mandatory. And so it particularly limits the ability of ships in the oil and gas industry from going offshore and onshore and
4: cultivating the resources that we so direly need. The Gulf of Mexico lease sale was supposed to it's supposed to take place in late September. You know this affects jobs. There are a lot of people on the Gulf Coast that work offshore. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's uh, yeah. It just seems like they're bound and determined to just eliminate all use of fossil fuels, and it's all at our expense, uh, of course. All right, is there a case where there were some issues at a daycare? where there's some sentencing that has occurred.
4: Yeah, and people are going to remember this one. Three of five North Mississippi daycare workers have been sentenced to jail after a video went viral in which they used a scream mask to torture the children in the daycare. You've probably seen this story. Sierra McCandless and Oceana Kilburn will each spend a year behind bars. Jennifer Newman was sentenced to six months And two other employees are awaiting their destinies. Their trials continue. Wow. That's really something. uh,
2: That was a a bizarre occurrence. Have you seen anything by any chance, Kelly, about this inappropriate book in the Hernando schools? I've seen that all over uh, social media. And uh, apparently, it's my understanding, it was like a rogue teacher that was having – Uh, Very young students read this incredibly, and excerpts like screenshots of the book itself have been out and about social media. My understanding is the teacher has been uh, terminated. I don't know if that's the the truth or not. I haven't really talked to any official sources. I I didn't know if we had seen that in the news or if it was just kind of something at this point confined to the social media universe, but seen quite a bit uh, about that. I uh, wondered about that in the state of Mississippi, how much of that's going on with all the conflict mm-hmm. across the country with respect to book banning, as they like to call it. This book was totally inappropriate. This page that I saw, if that's accurate, totally mm-hmm. inappropriate.
4: Well, uh, it does happen. Have you seen the the video of the gentleman? And I can't remember. I think he was in California, went to a school board meeting and started reading out yeah. loud one of the books that was available to kids in his library. You know, these were, what, elementary students, I think? Yeah. And they shut him up. They yeah. were like, this is not appropriate for a school board meeting. Well, then why is it appropriate for school?
2: Right, and that's exactly right, and that's what's going on. This this is similar in that respect, and there are numerous examples, as, as you just uh, suggested, about um, inappropriate content that, that parents have learned of, and they go to school board meetings and they read it. And they get all all jazzed up about it. The school board does, and but it's like they won't take a stand and say, "Hey, let's let's get this out of our schools." Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at this. Uh, this was a teacher on August 28th. Uh, pardon me, a parent. Parent said that this their eighth grade student and had a screenshot of the uh, of the book. Said she went and mm-hmm. met with a principal, Mrs. Steiner, and this is in the Hernando schools and was, was appalled, the principal apparently was, and said that the book is being eliminated from the curriculum and uh, that they're going to make a big deal out of this at the next school board meeting. So I would just say to people in Mississippi, be vigilant, be looking out for this kind of stuff. It's probably elsewhere. Agreed. All right, Kelly, appreciate you giving us an update there. Great job. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much y'all have a great holiday weekend.
2: you too we're coming right back in the Element well studio
0: Okay is everybody ready I'm ready ready here middays with Gerard Gibbons. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: We are back in the Element Well studio. So California... (laughs) is considering a law that would fine businesses if they or their employees interfere with theft in progress. Remember the story we shared, Rhino, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, Stockton, California? The convenience store, I believe it was, and the two owners kind of watched uh, the uh, rather arrogant criminal there the thief was just thumbing his nose you can't do anything about it just remember that shoving stuff out of the out of the coolers into bags can't touch me just temerity and finally they'd had enough i believe it was to seek right weren't they seek owners yes and one of them gets a uh, a, a round I'm going to call it a wooden pole. Probably, what, three, four inches in diameter it looked like. And started absolutely waylaying that person. And started screaming like a baby. Remember that? In the fetal position on the floor. With their stupid ski mask on to hide their face. (laughs) He just was relentless, pounding that guy. And I think you shared with us that there's something about I guess, shaming someone in that culture with a wooden stick like that, right? There's some connection there. Oh, yeah. It's used by law enforcement. Okay. So, and and that person obviously being part of that culture decided to engage in that practice on this criminal, this thief, who was just brazenly ripping him off right in front of him. You can't do anything about me. Stockton, California, what does the law say? Over $900 or below $900, we should let you out. We don't, even, we don't even arrest you. We've talked about criminals going into the stores with calculators to make sure they stay under 900 bucks. How drug stores in the state are locking up things like toothpaste. Unbelievable. But yet, I've gotten into these... Clashes on social media where leftists tell me I'm crazy to say that the Democrats in this country seek to decriminalize crime, is the terminology I use. You're just wrong about that. And they send me all these goofy statistics and reports from the 70s about Joe Biden and how he was such a pro enforce the law senator. That's 40 years ago. He's being guided by left-wing lunatics now. Oh, but this isn't a problem, is what they want you to believe. Just like KG, or JP, saying, this president has done more to secure the border than any in our history. And Bidenomics is just swell. Look how happy everybody is. It's just incredible. So California now is on the cusp of passing a law that would find a business such as these two Sikh gentlemen who own this convenience store who had enough of this brazen thief right in front of their eyes helping themselves to their assets. Oh, by the way, you want to see greed in action? That is greed. Taking somebody else's stuff is greed. That's the ultimate, most egregious form of it. So they're going to pass a law that says if, like on these two seat folks, they'd go to jail, and the criminal gets all the, their stuff and goes scot free. It's bizarro world. It's upside down. We are demonizing and vilifying those who abide by the law. We're praising, adulating, glorifying those who break it. That is upside down. I keep scratching my head thinking that I'm going to wake up and we're going to go back to normal world, and it gets more bizarre. It's like this prisoner. Prisoner who strangled their 11-year-old stepdaughter in prison and is suing for gender reassignment surgery. How bizarre can that be? Wants the taxpayers to pay for it. And the ACLU, and you wonder why we despise the ACLU, because they're the ones that's filing the suit. They see that as a violation of rights. It's like they don't care about the 11-month-old whose life got snuffed out by this monster who ought to be dead already, in my view. That's just incredible. Meantime, talking about this transgender stuff, I was surprised to find that transgender surgeries tripled in the last three years. Tripled. 48,000 patients, 48,000, tripling from 2016 to 2019, waiting for the most recent statistics. Half of the patients age 19 to 30, 20%, 31 to 40, 8%, 12 to 18 years old. 60% use private health insurance. So think about that, folks. Your premiums that you pay, or going into the pool that is also covering claims for someone changing their genitals. 25% covered by Medicaid. Unbelievable. It's a dang cult. Probably seen that that uh, a mother in California sued school said that the school encouraged their daughter to change their sex, change the pronouns, use the men's bathroom, the boys' bathroom, locker rooms, essentially function as a boy at school without them knowing because they don't have to tell. And they encourage it. It's a trophy. It's a badge of honor in the cult, probably encouraged by people that are just as sick. Don't you think? I guarantee it's where it came from. That's just all part of the craziness going on in this country. I know somebody said earlier, man, I'm so tired of all this gender stuff. I I am too, honestly. But I feel like we have to talk about it, share it with you, and we can't just sweep it under the rug. It's happening everywhere. It's bizarre, bizarre to me, honestly. San Diego School District now, has been caught encouraging students, encouraging students to identify as transgender or non-binary, encouraging, and that's that's now being exposed. But if it's happening in San Diego, it's happening elsewhere. It's not just limited. We just got it exposed. The mayor of El Cajon, Bill Wells, El Cajon. California, you slammed the San Diego Unified School District. They're promoting it. Essentially what they're promoting is secrecy. We don't want parents to know these kids belong to the state. We're going to brainwash them, indoctrinate them, encourage them to change their gender, their sex, They actually have a confidential gender support plan on official San Diego Unified School District Letterhead. I'm looking at the form. This is dang sick. Mm. Back to the economy. You're right. Student loans payments restart in October. Lots of changes going into effect because Joe Biden, unfortunately, with his signature, has altered the terms of those loans, effectively forgiving many of those loans. And they're bragging about already having done so, by the way. It's canceled seventy-two million in loans for twenty three hundred students since they started this effort about a week ago. Just unbelievable. So you're gonna see more and more of this and it's gonna get attention. But here here's what I think is going on. This is all about anticipating the twenty twenty four election. So you got that that block of voters that is relying on Joe Biden to forgive their loans. And, of course, he's appealing to them for support in doing so. In the meantime, you may have seen this. We'll catch more of it on the other side of the break. You've got the Biden administration that wants to reconsider how marijuana is treated at the federal level, wants to change its present status, as a schedule 1 drug and they want to the DEA wants to move it down to schedule 3 which essentially means that there won't be any sort of uh, federal charges which they don't do a lot of anyhow but it would change the entire marijuana world if this happens uh, this is likely to come out before the 2024 presidential election and it will be received positively coming right back in the element well studio. Days with Gerard
0: good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth good for us. Super talk Mississippi this is what we stand for.
4: So
2: since the nineteen seventies. Marijuana, heroin, LSD, Schedule One drugs. And basically that that means that they have no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. That's Correct. what puts them on Schedule One. And it's been in that category for a long time, actually ranking higher than fentanyl, cocaine, and methamphetamine. Interesting. So what they're looking at doing is moving it down to Schedule 3. Schedule 3. And I think also on Schedule 3, like steroids, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the big chunk of medical marijuana use is for pain or chemo patients or stuff like that. And when you look at the list of Schedule 3 drugs... Schedule 3 is where you find Loratab. It's where you find other painkillers that aren't oxycodone, because oxycodone is OxyContin and Percocet, and that's Schedule 2, which means it has accepted medical benefits, but it has a higher risk of addiction, whereas stuff like Loratab and Schedule 3 is hydrocodone, or you have codeine, stuff like that, where it's less addictive than the Schedule 2 drugs and has more accepted medical uses
2: yeah so i mean i don't know what do you do get a bunch of medical people together medical professionals scientists and so forth to uh, to make a a call on this to move it from one to three as, as far as in the context of what qualifies a drug for either schedule
1: well the other thing that isn't getting as much attention in this discussion is moving marijuana from schedule one to schedule three opens it up for more pharmaceutical testing. Okay. Because it's no longer the, the forbidden fruit that the pharmacy industry can't touch. It becomes just another
2: drug that can be prescribed by a medical doctor. Okay. Makes sense. So, some of the implications of this, uh, think about it from a business perspective. i kind of start with that. If it moves down to Schedule 3, this means that there will be more tax opportunities for those that are in the industry of just dealing with any Schedule 1 substances. So presently, you're not allowed to write expenses off federal tax returns under IRS code for Schedule One businesses involving Schedule One, think about that. So, and and this has really been because well,
1: Schedule One's considered illegal.
2: That's right. So there's no
1: medical benefit and high chance of addiction. That's why you have stuff like LSD and heroin and things like that in there.
2: So what our what our law uh, from a tax perspective says, you still got to report the revenue. You just don't get the benefit of all the expenses. It well, recognizes I mean, the, the, the tax revenue. code
1: says you have to you have to record and report your income from any illegal activity. That's right. It doesn't mean it actually happened.
2: I agree, but that is what the code says, and this is this is kind of related to that somewhat. But that's been you know this provision of the tax code has been a bit of an impediment for cultivators, uh, processors, testers, retailers. So when this was announced yesterday, the pot stocks went up. It's considered, you know, good for the industry, unless uh, you are a dispensary. Yeah, it's a bigger problem for them. But as far as because who,
1: if, it's, if it becomes a Schedule Three, then pharmacies yep. could get in on the game because they're no longer for, forbidden by the DEA
2: from selling it. Well, it's also could be a problem for. Uh, The supply chain as well, because under Schedule 1, you can't go across state lines. So if it becomes Schedule 3, you could have these more institutional-type entrenched growers' processors that could just make their product and ship it anywhere in the country. Right now, you think about our medical marijuana industry, it's got to be produced here. Every aspect of the supply chain has to be within the state's borders. Which you
1: would think for the end user that would bring the cost down.
2: Agree. Totally agree. But it might be bad news for those in Mississippi who just set up shop as a grower or a cultivator because then they're finding themselves in competition with the, the larger operations in other states that have been around a while that have just got the economies of scale on their side. So what I think, uh, by the way, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the end goal is ending federal prohibition. I've said on the program before, I think we're within five years of that. I'm starting to think now the desperation of the Democrats to retain control might put this in the spotlight between now and the 2024 election. Don't be surprised if we don't have this change in effect in total Ending, as Schumer says, a federal prohibition of uh, marijuana for for federal purposes, at least. Lynn Posey, Executive Director of Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, is up next. Fox News, Super Talk News, coming at you now.
0: Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply, Talk, think deeply. and look beyond political posturing.
2: Back everyone, it's middays. The afternoon portion of the program is on with you now on this Friday, y'all welcome to the program now Lynn Posey executive director of the Mississippi Department of Wildlife Fisheries and park mr director thanks for coming in sir oh, Gerard thank you for having us here today we really appreciate the opportunity to visit with folks well when the calendar uh, sets in on September 1 that means you guys get pretty busy it's a, a pretty eventful calendar uh, coming up we got dove season kicking off tomorrow and then it's just a lot of stuff uh, downstream from there we do we, we,
5: we, our guys are coming off the water, and our bob's been out in the field dealing with stuff getting ready for the season so yeah we 're moving we 're ch- changing over to actually getting to the hunting season and uh, Tomorrow kind of kicks us off with uh, the dove season, and uh, after that, we'll move move fast and furious into our uh, velvet season on the 15th through the 17th, and then, of course, we're in the middle of alligator season right now, and uh, by September 29th, we'll kick into our regular bow season. So, Damn. yeah, fast One and after furious. Another. It's time yeah. to
2: break out the camo.
5: So.
2: <laughs> doesn't seem like it. It was 100 degrees a week ago, but uh, it won't be long. And we're, you're starting to see some uh, temperature moderation. All right, so dove season, what do we need to know about that? Well, basically,
5: you know... Uh we just want folks to go, get out into in the great Mississippi outdoors and enjoy themselves uh, kick off in the morning uh, 30 minutes before sunrise and uh, you know I think everybody pretty much uh, knows the rules of dove hunting most folks have been out there for a long time yeah. but uh, you know of course obviously don't want to be hunting on bait field uh, you want to make sure you have your license and I just mentioned this uh, you know make sure if you got your license that you check the dates say all our hunting licenses now expire one year from the day that you purchase them and uh, we we're pretty much a special fund agency over at Wildlife. We encourage everyone to, to, to buy a license. It really helps us because not only do we get your, get your money for a license, we're able to leverage that money and take, make some federal dollars out of it. So please get out and buy your license. Our guys don't want to be out anybody for a license. We don't get one dime of money out of it. Okay. We, we want you to have your license on the front end and get out there and enjoy it. And we'll be our, our guys will be out there to serve and protect
2: is uh is are our seasons fairly consistent with uh, our neighboring states, or do we maybe have a a, a situation where there's different times that we draw people from other states?
5: Well, migratory birds, we have a framework that we have to set. Every state has a certain framework they can set the migratory bird season in. But, yes, basically all the federal migratory bird seasons are the same with a little adjustment from each state. And we have a little adjustment within the state for, for different zones. Uh, our northern zone uh, opens on September the 2nd and goes through the 15th. Our southern zone opens on September the 2nd and goes through the 24th. And we adjust them because the doves uh, tend to stay – in north mississippi sometimes later than they do in south mississippi
2: okay okay that that makes uh, total sense uh all right uh what about uh, i was asking you this offline what about your team you in good shape at the department there
5: we are we have to thank the legislature for giving us a a good budget to work with and uh that's what we're doing uh Getting not kind of off the hunting subject for just a minute or so, we've doing a lot of work in the state parks thanks to to a lot of good funding that the legislature uh, promised us, and uh, Lieutenant Governor has been really good in, in pushing that effort forward for us. But uh, one of the things I would like you listening folks to know that we will be closing some parks because we're on on a major renovation on these parks, and we're closing uh, Percy Quinn, Roosevelt, and Paul B after uh, Monday for. Really, you still be. We still have day use there, but we're gonna to have to close some of the park down due to infrastructure and things of that nature. But you're still welcome to come there during the day. In some places, there'll be a few cabins open. Some places there'll be, you know, uh, some camp pads open. But a lot of the a lot of the work going on in the parks is renovating the the camp pads because our our camp pads were built years ago when everybody had a small camper and everybody's got a great big camper
2: <laughs> and we're just really upgrading okay. there. Well that, that makes that makes total sense. Uh what about uh on the fishing scene in the state of Mississippi? What's that looking like?
5: Well, you know, been a lot of fishing going on. Uh we uh Legislature passed uh, some guide rules for some of our major lakes up there, uh, requiring license for guides, residents, and non-residents. So we've been uh, watching that being implemented, and uh, the fishing was really good. We're still catching the three and four-pounders in Grenada, so that's a big attraction for folks coming in. So that's why we had to start doing some regulating of of the guides up that way on some of the bigger reservoirs. But yeah, fishing is always good in the state of Mississippi. A lot of opportunities everywhere uh, for all different kinds of fish. Uh, what about this giant alligator? He was a good one. Good grief! Uh, I think caught eighteen years ago and tagged, and uh, really came I didn't back. Know that. And, yeah, yeah, he was tagged eighteen years ago, I believe. And of course, wound up being what fourteen yeah. three or fourteen two, something like that, and a little eight hundred pounds. So, yeah, he was a,
2: quite a record. Wow! You think there's more out there like that?
5: I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're out there. There's a big one's caught every year. That just happens to be one that got just a just a few pounds, a few inches to break the records. There there's some tremendous gators out here and of course we're in the process of trying to regulate taking some of some of them as uh our biologists recommend.
2: Lynn, what about the weather? How has that affected populations? we of central Mississippi, as you know, we've we've had a drought. Uh, I don't know that it rained in the month of August uh, that much in, in a lot of areas. We've, and then we've had uh, severe heat as well. Is that affecting populations or our our lands in any way? Well,
5: it, uh, it's been tough on animals and people. Uh, yeah. It's been uh, tremendously dry down at Union Church where I'm from, and uh, it's uh, – has an effect on, like, say, people and animals. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it has any drastic effect on animals. They're, they're, they're survivors, uh, so they get out there and find the shade, and yeah. you know, and just Why? like we find the air conditioning now. So, uh, no, no. At this point in time, uh, dr- drought tends to have a, can have a catastrophic effect on our deer herd if the blue tongue comes in. But so far, we haven't had any outbreaks of any of that anywhere in the state yet. So we're hoping we don't get
2: that. I don't remember seeing the deer quite as active in the summertime as I have this particular year, and I just wondered if that's because they're they're searching for water. Well, yeah, they
5: could be searching for water, searching for food. A lot of their, uh, not many acres this year, what I've seen, and the grass is dry, and they're hunting for a little more tender grass or, or finding some water that could, could make them move a lot more.
2: Yeah, I was in Smith County uh, speaking up there to the Republican Club about three weeks ago, and, of course, a lot of cattle farming in that area, and they were saying they were already putting hay out. Because there's just no grass in the fields,
5: no grass it's been tough on our farmers this time uh you know that they, they uh not gonna be much hay this time because we didn't get the rain to grow grow the grass, and uh it'll probably be a, a tough fall for Feeding cattle.
2: Yeah. Oh, other than that, you feel like the deer population is uh, pretty strong. We
5: have a strong population here in the state of Mississippi. uh We're battling D- CWD in certain areas of the state, which is uh, something we're getting used to battling. And then we wish we had better answers than we do, but uh, the entire country's working on on answers to it, and we're huh. we're trying to do our part by by zoning. Uh, some of the areas that we know that CWD is present. But they're even starting to find uh, CWD present in, in scrapes and things of that nature now, not necessarily just in li- in the deer themselves. Okay. but So it's, it's a really uh, troubling d- disease that we've got out there.
2: That's interesting. So anything we need to know, um, Lynn, about... Uh, just getting your license. Is any, anything changed along those lines? Uh, the process, the pricing, any of that?
5: Really hadn't hadn't changed much in a, in several years. Uh, we got we feel like we have a, a fair price breakdown for our resident hunters, and of course, obviously, we charge a little bit more for our non-resident hunters. And but we appreciate it. All of them buying the license and supporting the supporting the, the our department and the in the wildlife and fisheries of the state of Mississippi.
2: They've been out setting these food plots out. Uh, it seems like getting ready.
5: Don't plant them too early, unless you got some water. That's yeah, the only thing I, mean, I would that's say. But yeah, yeah, folks are out spraying them. You know, starting to get them disc,
2: and you know, they'll be ready to put some seed in the ground as soon as it starts to get a little moisture there. Yeah, I was visiting with the Mossy Oak uh, Biologics folks uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about, I guess, some of these uh, new seed materials that uh, will will uh, just retain their viability. Once you plant them, waiting for the water yeah. oh, uh, to yeah. come. I mean, they have some duration.
5: Yeah. Well, it's amazing what they've done with the, with the seeds. The technologies have advanced in the seeds and the, and the, and. The planning material that you have uh, just like they have in everything else
2: what about safety courses lynn always important anything we need to know there
5: hunter education uh, under 16 you need to get your hunter education uh it's you can do it online it's not hard to do uh we don't we do we still offer some in in person if somebody would like to do that you can look on our website and check that out and we'll do it either way but please go get it it's important gun safety is extremely important
2: and then you got uh of course, your enforcement uh wing as well. I know they're they're busy. what do folks need to be aware of there?
5: ah uh, well, just uh. From an informational standpoint, we've got about 173 officers now, and we just graduated 12 yesterday, okay. so we're adding adding to our force, and yep. we'll, we'll probably start recruiting a new class before too long, start sometime next spring. So, But our officers will be out there. They are there to protect and serve, but we also are law enforcement officers, so they sure. have to enforce the law. So sure. that's why we want to tell everybody, get their license, have a plug in the gun, and don't shoot more than 15 birds on opening day. Have fun, respect the law. That's, That's it. what it's all about. That's Lynn it.
2: Posey, Executive Director of Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries and Parks, has been our guest on middays. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. We're coming right back, stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. Love, love,
0: love, This program. Gerard Gibert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, 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 huge news. Huge. You, news. News.
4: you need to listen to this.
0: Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Back in the Element Well studio. The Hollies bumping into this segment. That's some good music back in those days. The Hollies. They made a lot of great tunes. We uh were talking about this possibility of legalizing pot, marijuana. The uh Biden administration looks like they're poised to remove marijuana from Schedule 1 and move it down to Schedule 3, which would uh, really sort of open up floodgates and, and result in lots of changes from a financial perspective. Now, that's what we were talking about earlier, that industries or companies that operate in the industry would be able to <laughs> deduct their expenses for tax purposes so that would make uh, it a more viable economy.
1: So what you're saying is if you're into mergers and acquisitions, you should be studying up on marijuana.
2: That's a good point. Uh, you wonder if the small guys would get acquired by the big guys. And the other big thing that, that I noted was it would uh, end... The, uh, the present ban on transporting marijuana across state lines, for even for business purposes, that has to stay within the state because of it being on Schedule 1. If it's on Schedule 3, that changes that, that dynamic. And it would also, of course, um, it would not free up banking services for the industry, that's kind of kept more traditional banks, especially national banks more than state banks, out of handling the financial activities of marijuana businesses. But um, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't change that 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 problem, wouldn't address that problem. Would still pose a, it, well, it poses a risk. Schedule three apparently I mean,
1: Schedule uh, 3 is the same as Lortab, and you can buy a Lortab at any pharmacy.
2: Uh, apparently, uh, that's, that presents a risk for banking institutions as long as present federal laws remain unchanged. However, there is a separate bill called the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act that would remove that burden. So I'm not familiar with the details, but that's being reported by financial publications, pu- financial media. They're saying that, that going from one to three, for whatever reason, doesn't change that. So, um, but I think that primarily applies, if not exclusively, applies to those that are chartered nationally as opposed to by, as state banks, community banks. Because most of those are able to participate in the industry without. Uh, breaking any federal laws. Hmm. We'll see where that goes. But I, it doesn't surprise me that this is um, getting traction. I mean, it's been talked about a while. It's uh, Representative Nancy Mace, remember, a Republican from South Carolina, says she used marijuana to medicate after experiencing, I believe, trauma, personal trauma as a abuse as a uh, teenager. And she has a bill, essentially, to deschedule marijuana. I'm not even sure if it'd move it from one to three. I think her bill may just take it off of all schedules. I don't know if that's possible. But it would essentially be to to change the way the federal government treats the substance. Uh, ben from Madison Made a point earlier. He said seventy percent of the people in the country uh, support legalization of marijuana. I've seen the same. I've seen the same. uh, He says a Gallup poll, same polls, uh, Ben and I've said on the program that uh, I think it's just a matter of time. He also informs does uh, does Ben from Madison. I haven't I haven't verified this, but he says Senator Wicker is informed. He says me, so I assume, Ben, you had a conversation with him, uh, communication directly, that he would not support this SAFE Banking Act, said Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith, did not respond to his question about where they stood on that, where she stands on that, I should say. Yes, Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, or SAFE, you know, you always got to have a clever acronym, would remove the burden according to the report I'm reading in the business news. I'm thinking as you are, though, Rhino, that that seems off, but this is what's being reported. I looked at a couple of different business journals.
1: The only thing I could think of is there must be a federal law prohibiting banks from transacting with organizations or entities, that, and it must specifically state Marijuana or yeah, cannabis
2: products or something like that. You could be right. As Instead to of saying schedules. schedule three, yeah, that you absolutely could be right. So again, schedule three,
1: which schedule three is still a controlled substance, right? So we we had a question about what it allow for people who were incarcerated for marijuana to be let out. They would still have been charged with possession of a controlled substance. There might could be an argument for lessening their their penalties or their prison sentences or something but it's it's in that same boat of if you have in your possession controlled substance pills from a pharmacy that weren't prescribed to you you're in possession of a controlled substance illegally okay it would still be the same situation with marijuana no matter where they move it on the schedule because being on the schedule means you are a controlled substance
2: that makes sense So what I'm reading, and my take on the Schedule 3, ketamine, anabolic steroids, and testosterone. Any substance that has a moderate to low potential for physical or psychological dependence goes to Schedule 3. Is included on Schedule 3. So on that basis, maybe that does make sense that there's still a, a banking issue. So... The recommendation. Well, I mean, steroids would
1: include. I. Uh, is it Androgel, which is one of the prescribed okay. testosterone
2: supplements that you can buy at a pharmacy. Interesting. So uh, there's a difference between moving it to a different schedule and descheduling. Correct. And I think what Representative Mace's bill called for was total descheduling
1: descheduling is full legalization right. which would allow for recreational marijuana use across the country.
2: Yeah. I so my position is this is a first step to that. From going from one to 3 which changes lots of of the uh, the dynamics lots of the environment F- the financial and economic and tax issues are an example it, in transporting across state lines another but it it apparently doesn't address the the banking issue in total, um, and I and I guess maybe there still could be. And I may
1: be misinformed saying lower tab schedule three. It's been a long time since I worked in a pharmacy, but for my understanding, hydrocodone. Is a, if if it's mixed with aspirin or Tylenol or something like that in the pill, then it's Schedule 3, if it's just hydrocodone, it's Schedule 2. But I could be wrong on that. But still, we're talking about the top three schedules of controlled substances.
2: Yeah, uh, and that could be. And I, and that stuff is kind of dynamic, isn't it? It's, it seems to move around a little bit, and you, it doesn't always make the news, when, I guess, when that happens the way marijuana does. Uh On the ceasefire text line, Bobby and Baithful, I don't care if they legalize it with some caveats, but it should be illegal for people to smell like they just smoked it. It's nauseatingly loud sometimes, laugh out loud. Yeah, you probably saw that um, where they're playing tennis up in New York, huh? And the players are complaining about it at the U.S. Open. Said the marijuana has one court smelling like Snoop Dogg's living room. <laughs> but the players are complaining. I mean, it's so prevalent, they're saying it's affecting them physically. This is crazy. And and you've seen lots of folks in New York, now that it's legalized there, and there's so many people on the streets just walking around the streets. You just can't escape it. So now at the U.S. Open, that just seems crazy. To me, and um, players are complaining about it. I don't know what they're going to do. I, You know, maybe the US Open organizers need to um, implement some sort of rules, which they certainly could. It's a private deal. We're stepping aside for a break, coming back with half an hour left in the Element Well studio. Tickets to give away before we get out of here.
0: Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Oh, would you like to swing on a star?
1: Harry Moon beams home in a jar and be better off than you are. Lulu. Or would you rather be a fish? A fish won't do anything but swim in a brook. He can't write his name or read a book To fool up people is his only
0: thought And though he's slippery, he still gets caught But
1: then if that sort of life is what you wish (laughs) You may grow up to be a fish
2: Well, that's uh, the great Bing Crosby, the old crooner there New kind of jumped up slippery fish. <laughs> Where'd you dig that one up? That's awesome.
1: That is a song that my dad would sing on a pretty regular basis. Just break out into it, and every once in a while, it gets stuck in my head. So I have to <laughs> to share the
2: earworm. I love it. That's awesome. All right, let's see a couple of people. Uh, that, yeah, here we go. Jamie from Oxford. Said, schedule one drugs have no medical benefits and are illegal. That's why a move to three would be a change for marijuana. Uh, let's see, scrolled off here. Uh, cocaine is actually schedule two.
1: Yeah, it has uh, limited medical use in the ear, nose, and throat okay. surgeries because it can be injected and paralyze the muscles, the, the fine motor muscles in the in the face, so that you can do really delicate surgery.
2: Okay. Well, that and so that what I'm reading in the financial uh, journals is consistent with what Jamie says. I also, had someone on social media that sent me a note that uh, also is a pharmacist. And let's see here, uh, said hydrocodone is Schedule Two. Or
1: yeah, without... that's the main thing in lower tab. Okay, so that, that was the thing I was hung up on because when I worked in the pharmacy. Lortab, Norco, Tylenol 3, all those in that same kind of family were Schedule 3.
2: Yeah, gotcha. Um, All right, so I also had a friend that was listening earlier about this whole discussion about greed and equity and all that garbage. Said someone needs to explain to the left that true equity can only be achieved when everyone is pulling his or her weight. Notice how, quote, binary... I am. Let's be honest. The whole notion of equity is a huge ruse. It's a pipe dream. There's no such thing. There's just no such thing. Equal opportunity? Yeah, it's a real deal. Uh, Equity? Achieving the exact same outcomes? That's communism, as far as I am concerned. I don't support that. I support equal opportunity. And I've yet for someone to truly prove that they're not being afforded the same opportunity because of certain immutable traits, their race, their gender, their sexual orientation. They want to tell you that they're not. So when you see all these statistics, this always bothers me. We see all these statistics, well, this group's making less than that group and this group's getting more than that group and uh, you know it's always we have to break down every statistic across these these demographic traits. But it, and it's trying to project at least that well, it's just because of those demographic traits. It has nothing to do with the fact that well, maybe they just don't perform as well at whatever that endeavor is. Maybe it, that's why they're not achieving the same outcome. I mean, you use the athletic example. It's like saying, well, it's not equitable that this five foot two person over here can't seem to dunk it like this seven foot person can. So we've got to change that. Well, the only thing I can think of to make that equitable is to either give the five foot two person some sort of device that make them taller or take the seven foot person and just put a hacksaw about at the knees. And it's the latter, if you think about it, Rhino, is what the left always wants to do. They want to take the person who's achieved more, produced more, attained more success. They just want to whack that off. It's like e- Elon Musk complaining about his daughter being taught to hate him because he's wealthy. And the only solution they ever, they ever uh, communicate is, "We just got to go take more of their wealth. They got too much." Not. It's never about. Well, let's figure out how to. Get more, educate more the folks that don't have Elon Musk's wealth. Get get them more opportunity. and not, not get them more, but teach them more about where those opportunities exist. Let's put it that way. It's not that the opportunities don't exist. They got the same ones that Elon Musk did. He just leveraged them. He capitalized on them. And others aren't. And and that's probably always going to be that way in society. That doesn't mean it's inequitable, because the same opportunities are available. But often a lot of people just don't want to leverage those opportunities, don't want to seize them, don't want to exploit them. They're too too busy, worried about work-life balance. (laughs) It's crazy. I'm all for equal opportunity. I'm not for equal outcomes, but virtually every policy that comes out of the left is all about taking from one group, give it to another. It's never about scaling the pie and growing the size of the pie. It's always about re-cutting it. And that's just, that's totally dangerous. Thomas and Greenwood asked a question earlier about Medicaid paying for transgender surgery and and did a bit of research on that Thomas it's it's I like everything it's complicated there are like five different treatments for gender dysphoria and it is um it is at the discretion of the states by the way so there are a number of states that do cover it various, of the five services, some cover all, and so once again, it's another what should be fairly simple concept that's brutally complicated and convoluted uh, because this whole deal has just taken a life of its own in this uh, in this country, but there's gender I- – definitions of gender identity are literally – included in Medicaid, CMS Medicaid documents and publications. And they define gender identity, transgender, non-binary, cisgender, gender dysphoria, gender-affirming care. But within the five categories of health, Hormone therapy, surgery, fertility assistance, voice and communication therapy, primary care, and behavioral health interventions. In addition, the endocrine society. Did you know there was such a thing? The endocrine society supports gender-affirming care in their clinical practice guidelines. I didn't know there was an endocrine society. That's a new one. These guidelines form the standard of care for treatment of gender dysphoria. It's highly individualized. Major U.S. medical associations, of course, such as the AMA, one arguably of the most woke associations in the country. I don't even know any doctors that belong to it. They're so put out with how far to the left they've gone. The American College of obstetricians and gynecologists, the American Academy of Nursing, and the American Psychiatric Association, among others, have issued statements underscoring the medical necessity of gender affirming care. Now, didn't we share a story a couple of weeks ago about how the UK and other countries in Europe, they're like going in the other direction on this issue, right? Totally like saying, nah, we need to study this thing a little bit more. It's causing problems downstream. And there have been detransitioners that have gone before the U.S. Congress and discussed those problems. But yet we got these major health care professional associations. They're all in. Because they're all run by a bunch of damn Marxists. That's just the truth. They've absolutely invaded every corner of society. Oh gosh. Our people have forgotten Jesus Christ. Oh, that was a couple of weeks ago, says Michael from Tishomingo. People don't want to capitalize. People want entitlements. He says that's the main difference. I agree. They, they have these opportunities right in front of them, but it requires initiative, effort, gumption, sacrifice, toil. I just don't want to do it. I. And that's what, I talked about that earlier in the show, what kind of bothers me about the younger generations that just don't seem to aspire to climb the the uh, the corporate ladder, the economic ladder. They're just perfectly happy to just have that work-life balance. I want to be home. I want to work two days a week, but I want Elon Musk's wealth. It's not fair. He's got all that. Upside down. Coming right back.
0: Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Jackson says he wants to be at least as wealthy as Gerard Gibbert. (laughs) Uh, I'm blessed. There's no doubt. But I got to tell you, and, and I don't mind saying this, I worked my butt off. I took enormous risk. I faced bankruptcy countless times. I'm not complaining about that. I just, I get put out when folks on the left think that anyone who achieved any degree of financial success just woke up and it was in their bank account. Or the other narrative you hear is they exploited it off their workers. That's the common thing. They didn't take care of their workers. They're just greedy. I don't mind telling you. I was never the highest paid person in my company, not in 33 years. Not a single year was I the highest-paid person in my company, though I was the founder and CEO of the company. Not complaining about that. There, And I know there are a lot of other. I'm not just talking about me personally. I don't want, want to make it about that. I'm representing a lot of other people, tons in this country. Do the same thing. I know it. You do what you got to do to hang on and survive with the opportunity to have a payday one day. You know that delayed gratification thing they tell us is an element of white supremacy. It's European colonization and all that garbage. And that's what I get upset about. They're so wrong. And they always think about the entire business community in the context of the Fortune 20. And and I don't begrudge a dime a CEO at a Fortune company or anybody makes, because the market is the only fair arbiter of that. How many dang people do they think can run a Fortune 20 company? And moreover, that one person, because of their broad decision-making authority and, and so much other responsibility they have, their decisions, their actions, don't just affect them like a lot of workers downstream do. No disrespect. They affect the whole damn workforce. They screw up, everybody gets hurt. They do well, everybody benefits. That's why they get paid more money. It's just simple as that. They, they can't fathom that. A lot of these people think these big companies could run... Without a C-suite, oh, we don't need those people. I, I can tell you this though: I had an open door policy. Most good companies do. You know about that. My company. You you want to come in and talk about something, please. And I also was quick to seek input from them, because I admit I need their help. I need I need their guidance to make critical decisions. And sometimes you absorb it all and you say, you know what, my gut says I got to go in a different way, and you you either benefit or you pay the price for that. But what I found a lot of time is that people don't want to make those decisions. You you agree. You know what I'm talking about there. They just, oh, no, that's for you. Okay. But the left doesn't get that. And it's the pressure and the stress. Which is ironic because they want to put all their responsibilities off on government.
1: True. So they want someone to do something for them. Just
2: better not be a CEO. It's just crazy. Wilson in Greenwood says, we will actually have to capture SOGI data at admission per new CMS guidelines next year. Please tell us what that acronym stands for. Uh, that is
1: Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity.
2: So, Wilson, I think you're at a hospital, I believe, at a healthcare. If you says CMS, you know that he's uh, he's worked somewhere where they're under the governance of uh, government uh Federal government, CMS. So that's crazy to me. So we're having to capture this information about a patient, I guess, coming in. Right? Well, we already talked about a couple of months ago Johns Hopkins, where you can just give them whatever name you want on your on your arm band, your patient identification wristband. And the staff at Johns Hopkins, including the physicians, on their little badges that they wear, on their white coats generally to show that they are a an employee there, a physician there. They can put whatever name they want on there too. We gotta be inclusive. Hey, what name do you want today? Let me put a badge in there for you.
1: I'm Dr. Tyrannosaurus Rex.
2: <laughs> that is uh, I saw where there's one of these crazy gender people. Their pronoun is noun self. <laughs> And no surprise, had pink hair and big glasses. The uniform. (laughs) We are out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us on the program. Back with you on Monday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Until then, stay safe and God bless.